And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to this morning's edition of The Real Investment Show as we kick off really the first full week of uh, June. As we, uh, June. Yeah, I mean... Uh, this weekend, I'm sitting in my living room. We have these glass doors on the back of our house. And, you know, gym bugs just running themselves, committing suicide on the on the, on the the glass patio. So yeah. must be June, right? The love bugs are out, too. I, I, I have not seen any love bugs. Yes. So. Check out uh, the front of my car. Okay. <laughs> but gym bugs, my dogs eat them, so. Ooh, it's, yummy. It's a, it's a tasty backyard. treat. <laughs> Good news is I don't have to pick them up. Well, and <laughs> so, it keeps the worms out of your yard, too. Exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, it is April, of course. First full, first full week of April. I mean, the June bugs are so confused with the whole time clock change thing anyway. So, they're just like, ah, just come out anyway. Um, anyway, so lots of stuff uh, happening over the weekend. Uh, one of the interesting things is, is this morning, Twitter is going to be up about 24% this morning. Big jump in Twitter prices. And this is because Elon Musk has taken a 9.2% stake in the company. Now, it's interesting because Elon Musk has not been exactly a fan of Twitter. He's been suggesting that since Twitter acts as the town square where people you know, get together to voice opinions that they should not be censored, and has even asked the question on Twitter, should there be an alternative to Twitter? Well, you know, the problem, of course, is, is just like Parler found out, you know, Parler was going to set up the kind of the, you know, the alternative to Twitter and to Facebook. And you, you just can't compete. These, these big companies are so entrenched and so dominant in their space that really you can't launch a real competitor of any type of, of threat, right? So sometimes change comes with it from within. So, you know, with uh, Elon Musk taking a 9% stake in the company, he's now got a voice potentially in what happens with Twitter and so forth and so on. This so, is going to be a lot of fun to this watch. Is gonna, this is going to be fun to watch. So, <laughs> uh, but the good news is stock will be up sharply this morning. Uh, outside of that also is that, you know, we're now starting to move into a stronger month of the year. And when it comes to the markets, markets tend to perform better in the month of April. And over the last few days, we talked about this last week, is that we had had this very strong 10% rally in the markets over the course of the last couple of weeks, had gone from extremely oversold to extremely overbought in, in just that very short span of time. And that we would need some type of just consolidation, uh, kind of just a, a sideways kind of movement in the markets to work off some of that overbought condition. We did register a sell signal last week, and this has been kind of just this process. Over the last three days, markets really haven't gone much of anywhere. They're going to kind of open flattish again this morning. And again, this, this whole kind of movement here in the market is exactly what we want to see. That's that type of consolidation where the markets just don't sell off. They just kind of drift sideways for a bit, work off this overbought condition, 
And if that does work out and the markets can hold these important kind of moving averages, the 50 and the 200 day moving average are just below the market where, where it's currently sitting. If markets can hold that level of support, work off this overbought condition, then that certainly gives the market some opportunity to make another advance later this month and into the month of May. Now, once we start getting into June, July, August, get into the summer months, completely different story for a couple of reasons. By the time we get into the summer months, now this is going to be June, July, August, that we're going to know really where the Fed stands on a lot of things, right? The Fed has already said they're going to be hiking rates this year. The market currently pricing in nine rate hike, nine more rate hikes. So it'd be a total of 10 uh, rate hikes in this year. So taking basically the Fed funds rate from zero to 2.25% by the end of this year. Now that's a very sharp increase in rates in an economy that already has higher interest rates, inflationary pressures, et cetera, which are already tightening monetary action in the economy. Also all that liquidity that we dumped in from a couple of years ago, that's now gone as well. So as we move further into the summer, a more aggressive Fed, also in May, the Fed's gonna start talking about tapering their balance sheet potentially. If all that comes to fruition, we could see a bit sloppier summer action. So as we've been talking about for the last few weeks, use this rally here to rebalance portfolio risk a bit. Let's see what happens over the next few days with this kind of consolidation. Again, if we can pull back to the support, hold it, we can increase some exposure here temporarily for the next month or so, participate with whatever kind of market action we're gonna get for the rest of this month and into May. Uh, the best days of April tend to be the first few days of April and then right around the middle of April as people are getting their tax refunds back and they have money to invest. So markets tend to do better. The end of April tends to be weak as then of course we move into the, to the month of May. So again, just kind of paying attention to what the markets are doing here. Again, nothing really to worry about. I'm still getting a lot of emails very concerned about you know, the market crash and we're gonna have this major bear market. There's really no indication of that at the moment. We have a, a lot of things that are going on that the market is certainly pricing in, but global monetary inflows continue to be very, very strong. Corporate stock buybacks continue to be very strong with the exception of Starbucks, which has now suspended their buyback program this morning. But overall, we're still running near record levels. Now, over the next few days, uh, particularly as we move into the middle of April, corporate stock buybacks are in a blackout period because we're about to start quarter one earnings announcements. This is one kind of issue, though, that may change some of the dynamics. Right now, everybody's very optimistic about quarter one earnings, We'll see now, this is for the January, February, March period. We'll see just how good those earnings are. One of the things that could change the dynamic and kind of the tenor and tone of the market will be these earnings reports because this is gonna be the first real series of earnings reports post all that liquidity because the, the, uh, the, the extended unemployment benefits, the child tax credits all ended last year. So the first quarter of this year was the first quarter without any stimulus in the system in terms of consumer spending, consumption, etc. So this is going to potentially, you know, give us the first good look at what earnings are going to be. And there's a there's a real possibility here that we could see a pretty sharp drawdown in expectations 
for earnings. Expectations for earnings are still extremely high. They haven't come down very much at all. We're still looking at $220, $230 a share by the end of 2023. That's a very elevated level relative to what the economy is probably going to generate over that time frame. So we're going to see those numbers start to come down. The question will be how fast does that earnings reversion occur? We're going to get a really good look at that in this first quarter earnings period. And the thing we we'll want to pay attention to is not so much what these companies report, but what they say about the future quarters and their forecasts. And, and more importantly, what is the impact of inflation on their numbers and how much of that inflation can they actually pass through? So these are all going to be very, very key ingredients to be paying attention to as we start getting into earnings season, which will kick off uh, actually next week we'll start to, to get some of these early reports. So we're getting there and there's gonna be a lot of action happening around that. So we'll pay attention to that very closely here on The Real Investment Show. We come back from the break, lots of stuff to get into this morning. In particular, I wanna talk about a new bill that Paul Toomey, uh, that uh, Senator Toomey's trying to pass, talking about allowing investors more access to risky investments. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show today. Of course, I'm your host, Lance Roberts. It is. Uh, just a little after six as we kind of get this morning going and uh, markets are again i'm just kind of looking at some of the the kind of the pre-market numbers looking pretty flattish right now dow's up about 30 points s p's up about nine it's kind of been flipping back and forth this morning uh, again you know these uh, kind of pre-market opens haven't been real reliable lately we've seen a lot of markets that have opened down in the morning they rally back in the afternoons they open up in the morning and immediately sell off so uh, again these pre-market kind of opens tend to be a little bit you know deceiving in a lot of cases uh, but it, it's just a function of the volatility we've had in the markets as of late one thing i want to talk about though is that we keep doing some things, and, and this is a function of markets that we have over time, which is when things are really bullish and things are doing really well, right? We've had a bull market that's been running now for 12 years. Um, of course, that's primarily due to just a massive influx of liquidity, about $43 trillion worth of capital put into the financial markets and the economy by both the government and the Federal Reserve since 2008. So not surprisingly, if you're going to stick $43 trillion into the economy, you're probably going to get some lift, right? It's just, uh, especially when the economy is running at about $20 trillion. So just, you know, if you're spending $2 for every dollar's worth of GDP, 
that's not to, to mention the fact we've been spending $12 for every, P, for every bit of GDP growth. For every dollar's worth of GDP growth, we've been putting in $12 worth of debt-funded liquidity since 2008. Not surprising that things have gone up a bit. You know, the, the problem, though, is, is that when this stuff goes on, we then begin to go, well, you know, markets are back, everything's good, and, you know, we can loosen up the rules a little bit. And that always tends to happen just before bad things happen. If you remember, we loosened up the rules a little bit on mortgages back in 2004, 5, and 6 because more people needed to get into to buying houses. And so we came up with subprime mortgages and no money down and ninja loans and all these type of things. And, well, I don't need to remind you how that ended. In uh, 1995 through 1999, we loosened up the rules on IPOs and offerings and things like that. And, you know, we were bringing a lot of companies public that, well, really shouldn't have been public. And dot-com crash, and then we start passing rules and like regulations after the fact, right? So, you know, after after we blow stuff up, then we pass a rule or a regulation to fix that problem so that won't happen again. So we have Sarbanes-Oxley, Graham Dodd, you know, all these things, right? So we keep doing these things, but we never learn our lessons because as soon as we get into a state of time where things go really well, we go, Hey, we need to give more people access to the markets. Well, again, no offense to Senator Toomey, but he's not the one writing the bills. This is all coming from wall street. Wall street's looking around going, you know what? Retail investors have some capital and we would like to extract that capital from those investors so that we can use it for our own nefarious purposes. So Senator Toomey, and of course, this follows the um, Jobs Act that was passed back in 2012, which loosened up some of the restrictions on angel investing and some other things. And so far, that hasn't been terrible because, again, when you're sticking $43 trillion worth of liquidity into the markets, pretty much you can get away with most anything. But the new Jobs Act 4.0 comes along. And you can just hear Wall Street's writings all over this. They want to change the definition of accredited investor so that individuals, more individuals, can have access to private equity investments. Sounds like a reasonable aspect, right? I mean, you, you should have access to investing in private pre-public companies, right? The problem is, is that this never works out well. A lot of pre-public companies never go public. They don't make it. They fail for one reason or the other. About 80% of businesses fail for lack of capital, for a whole variety of reasons. And investing in private companies has a lot of fraught with it because they don't have public disclosures for you to be aware of what's going on inside the company. So it's rife with fraud. And the other problem with this is, is that there isn't, well, I should say this. The other problem is, is that you're not held accountable for your actions. Let me explain what I mean. So in order to be an accredited investor, you have to make a statement that your income 
is at a certain level every year, $250,000 a year, or you have to have a net worth of a million dollars. So, you know, the idea of having a net worth of a million dollars today really has much less meaning than it did 10 or 20 years ago when accredited investor was, was that term was first coined because of inflation and markets and the stuff that's happened over time. But the assumption is that if you're making a quarter million dollars a year or you have a million dollars worth of net worth, that, hey, you're a pretty savvy person, right? You understand risk, probably involved in a business or something like this. You, you really understand the risk of what you're getting into. So why not? If you, uh, if you can claim yourself to be an accredited investor and that you understand and accept the risk of investing and then you make a poor investment, well, that's on you, right? But that's not the way it works out. Because as soon as something goes wrong, and it inevitably does, and you wind up losing a big chunk of your money, the first thing you do is you run and grab a lawyer, and the lawyer goes, Oh, well, you know, you should have never been in that investor, that investment in this, the first place. You're not nearly smart enough to be in that. And, and so the lawyer then makes the claim that, you know, you were duped into making this uh, accredited investment. And you knew nothing about what you're going on. You obviously have no experience. And so, you know, the advisor, whoever it was that sold you the product to start with, you know, they get in trouble and, you know, there's a settlement and all kinds of stuff. Right. I mean, it, the, the whole thing is a is a scam from top to bottom starts with wall street and winds up with the lawyers end of the day you're the one that winds up losing and, and this is just a function of of what has happened repeatedly throughout history this isn't something new this was back in the 90s it was in the 2000s under all kinds of real estate deals and now it'll be under all kinds of forms of, of private equity deals right pre-market stuff the other aspect of this is also that they want to allow more mid-sized companies to go public sooner. Look, the problem is, is we've already got a bunch of companies that shouldn't be public to start with. They don't earn money. They don't make money. The standards at which, you know, we take companies public now, and this is why the invention of the SPAC was so beneficial for Wall Street, because with a special purpose acquisition company, a shell, I just go grab any bit. I get money into it, and I go buy some business that really shouldn't be public, slam it into this publicly traded shell. Wall Street makes money. You lose money, and everything's good. All this is, all the JOBS Act 4.0 is, and you should call your congressman and, and particularly call Pat Toomey and say, stop this now, you idiot, is that this is simply just another process to transfer wealth from Main Street to Wall Street. And it will happen repeatedly. And if it didn't happen repeatedly, simply explain to me why 10% of the economy owns 90% of the stock market and why 80% of Americans don't have $500 in the bank. If investing worked like it was supposed to work, if investing worked as, as everybody tells you on CNBC that it works, why is it that after three of the most, uh, of the most significant bull markets in the history of the financial markets in the U.S., 80% of Americans don't have, have less than one year saved up for retirement. Something's not right. Wall Street has made a ton of money. The top 10% of income earners have made a ton of money. Why haven't you? Why isn't everybody rolling around in millionaire, you know, garb? 
driving Bentleys and living in million-dollar houses. Well, why is it that way? I mean, if, if investing is as simple and opportunistic as Senator Pat Toomey makes it out to be, and that we need to give you more access to having more risk, why is it that we have a financial situation the way we have it now? Why is it that we're talking about a wealth gap in the country? So just, you know, it's, it's this type of stuff. Now, what will happen here is that we'll probably pass this bill because why not? And eventually we will have a pretty substantial bear market at some point. Been saying this for the last 12 years, but hey, you know what? <laughs> It'll eventually happen. It will. And when people lose enough money, then, of course, Senator Pat Toomey and all the other architects of the demise will come out and say, well, we need a bill to ensure that investors are protected. And we'll pass the new Toomey Protection Act 1.0, which unwinds all of the stuff that they just passed. Because that's the way it works. Wall Street drives policy. Crisis drives action. Ultimately, it's you that's the loser. It's the retail investor that loses. It's the retail investor that transfers their wealth to Wall Street and the rich. Not just this time. It's every time. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com we're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time especially when it comes to signing up for medicare when should you enroll what's the best plan for you how will the significant passage of time adversely affect your medicare premiums join richard rosso and danny ratley for our next virtual lunch and learn on medicare avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties thursday april 21st register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of medicare realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show so welcome back this morning i'm rose lance roberts so i'm determined my wife is trying to kill me by the way <laughs> why is this well so you know i work out every morning right so i yeah. come here i do the radio show and then I leave here, go to the gym, mm -hmm. work out, then go to work for the rest of the day. Yeah. And so my wife, she wants to spend time together, and I, I enjoy spending time with my wife. She's my best friend, so we like doing stuff together. And 
she's decided to sign up for this what they call a gridiron class, which oh. is this exercise class in the evening that mm -hmm. you know you go in for an hour, you're slinging weights around and you know kind of in a cardiovascular environment. <laughs> so it's a really good workout. I'm, I'm not I'm not going to lie, but you know this was a Tuesday evening and a Saturday morning event. So you know I was just you know Tuesdays I have a two a day that's fine, and then Saturdays gave me an extra day in the gym, so it was all good. So we go to class on Saturday and, you know, we're, we're getting there to work out. And the instructor says, oh, good news. We're going to launch another class on Thursday evenings at 630. <laughs> and my wife is like, yay, this is awesome. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in. Uh, yeah, I don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> it's my it's my husbandly duty to go with my wife. Yeah. And, you know, but of course, you know, it's 630 to 730. So now you get home and you're all jacked up from working out. And oh, I've got to yeah. get to bed because I've got to get up at four to go to work the next morning. And yeah, it's going to be fun. So on Friday mornings, fortunately, I have Danny and Richard saving yeah. me. So there you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but anyway, uh, my wife did take uh, my daughter. So this weekend we had our our youngest daughter. She and, and she uh it's got a party coming up, and so I, I picked her up from dance, and we were home. She's like, "Dad, I need to buy a dress for my party," and I'm like, "Well, that's fine." I said, uh, "I said, you know, uh, you know, T will take you and, and you know get a get a dress for you. She she will help you pick out a nice one." And so they go out shopping to the mall. So they go to the mall, and she comes home. And she tells me they go to the Galleria here in Houston, and the mall's packed, but there's nobody in the stores. They're all in the food court hanging out. But you go into Nordstrom and there's like nobody in the store. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it's kind of an interesting, you know, dynamic. You know, people want to go out and do stuff, but they can't really afford to buy anything. So they're just in the food court hanging out and enjoying, you know, kind of window shopping, so to speak. But anyway, so, you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty picky about what my daughter wears. Mm -hmm. So so I, they go shopping and they buy the dress. And uh, and so I agree to meet them for lunch, and so I meet them at the restaurant for lunch. And I go, did you, I go, well, babe, did you get did you get your dress? And she's like, yeah, I got it. She goes, I got pictures of it. And she she like pulls up her phone and she shows me this picture of like this Mormon looking dress. It's <laughs> from the neck all the way down to the to the floor, <laughs> and, and sleeves are done. I'm like, that's a really nice dress. That's perfect for your party. Now show me the real dress. And then so then she shows me another picture. I never did see the actual dress. Oh really? No. I have a feeling that it is mm. a non-father approved dress. Yes. But I know my wife. My wife, it'll be a very tasteful dress. The, I'm just sure that, you know. The eternal struggle <laughs> <Yes>. continues. <laughs> and it's real. It is real. <laughs> Especially when they're 15. It's just oh, like, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and she's about 5'11", mm -hmm. all legs. Right. And oh, yeah. so she's just she's very tall. She's very pretty and, and just 50. I'm trying to protect my last one. So anyway, I'm, does I'm, she have a boyfriend? No. OK, well, there's hope. There, uh, it's it's a, it's only a function of time. I know I, it's it's, yeah. it's right at that age. Yeah. Right. Next, and she turned 16 in September. Mm -hmm. So she starts driving. Oh, my God. Just Thanks for the warning. But yeah, no, no doubt. I drove with her the other day where you know she's having to do her testing. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm four years older than I was a couple of weeks ago. Trust me. We're, we're getting there. She'll be fine. <laughs> we're getting there on the driving. <laughs> you know, 
they, they call those an old crap handle for a reason. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of that going on in the car. Anyway. And if you don't have them, have them installed. <laughs> exactly. So she have teenage kids. Anyway, all right. Uh, get back to this, back to work here. Uh, today's article on the website is called Bear Market Anatomy. And Russell Napier did a wrote an excellent book um, called Anatomy of a Bear Market. And it's really kind of one of those must-read manuscripts if you're going to be an investor. And it's not simply just talking about, oh, my God, we're going to be in a bear market. It's really more about what is a bear market and how to identify a bear market and what happens during a bear market. And this is important to understand about risk management and understanding how market cycles work. And, you know, I, it was interesting. I was having a meeting the other day, and they were asking me uh, in this meeting, it's with our marketing company, and they said, um, can you write an article like how to get started investing? And I hate those types of articles because there's about a million of them that are written, and they're all terrible. They all give you the worst possible advice about how to get started. Just go buy, you know, 10 stocks that you really like and stick some money in them and hold on to them forever, right? Just terrible advice. The worst thing that you can do to your kids is have them participate in one of those investing classes in school, which only teaches them how to gamble. And every time, I generally, once a year, I get an email from a teacher who says, hey, I've got to teach this investing class where we're going to have this investing competition for a quarter you know, for, you know, for one semester. And I, I just scold these teachers to the nth degree because all you're doing is you're not teaching the kids to invest. What you're doing is teaching them to gamble because the way you win the investing game is to buy penny stocks and hope you grab one that goes up, you know, 2,000% during the, during the six-week period, right? You're not teaching them how to do fundamentals. You're not teaching them analysis. You're not teaching them anything. You're just teaching them to gamble, which, you know, you set them out onto a bad course investing-wise. Learning to invest is a, is a process that takes a lot of time and work that people don't want to really put into it. They just want to stick money in the market because markets are going up and they want to get rich quick and one bad habit builds on another. And again, when markets are rising on a steady basis, you can make a lot of investing mistakes and it's okay because the market will cover it up. Bear markets reveal those mistakes. And if you want to teach somebody how to invest, you teach them how markets work in both good and bad periods and what causes those good and bad periods. That's the important thing. The bear market anatomy is a, is, is a really good piece, and Richard Rosso had written a... a kind of a long dissertation on it uh, a while back on our website. And I was kind of going through a couple of weeks ago and stumbled across it and reread it. And, and it's a really good piece. And so I broke it down and kind of annotated it to some degree, really just kind of going through the major facets of that tome. And again, it's, you know, again, it's Russell Napier. And it's, uh, it's the anatomy of a bear market. So it's a very good read if you're investing. The, the important point is, is that bear markets all have very similar traits as to how we get into them and how we get out of them. And so I kind of go through 
some of those issues, you know, in the article. And again, it's on the website now. But there's some interesting dynamics that are going on in the market currently that are very similar to Russell Napier's work. And part of one of those is, is that the current market cycle that we're in right now, the way the market's behaving, has a very similar pattern to what we saw in both 1999, 2000, and 2007, 2008. And this rally that we've had over the last couple of weeks is very reminiscent of those type of rallies that you see during bear markets. That doesn't mean that you're in a bear market. Don't, don't mistake what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that the rally has the tenor of what you see normally in bear market rallies. That doesn't mean we're necessarily in a bear market. It just means that you know we've had a very big rally. That's what that means. The question is, is context. And unfortunately, we won't know until later. And we can look back and go, oh, yeah, well, we were obviously in a bear market then because following that 10% rally, we went down 20%. But what Russell Napier said is, and, and this is when we're talking about this 10% rally from the last couple of weeks, Russell Napier said this, there will appear to be a recovery and an all clear for stock prices. And look, already in the media, we had a 10% rally last week. And there's already a ton of articles out of the media and the, and the and CNBC, well, you know, bottoms in and markets are recovering and we're on our way back up. Jim Cramer has been pounding his desk lately, right? Talking about the recoveries, the, the, the bear market's over and it's time to be back into stocks. Let me, re, uh, let me read this from Russell Napier. There will appear to be a recovery and an all-clear for stock prices. It will suck investors back into the market only to financially ravage them once again. Anecdotally, I know this cycle isn't over as I still receive calls from people who are anxious to get into the markets. And this is something that we, we have seen previously. And in fact, I was doing a um, podcast with Adam Taggart on Friday, which is actually on our website now. So if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, you can click on the market recap with Adam Taggart. It's, it's on the website. But we talked about specifically how to onboard into the market. If you're sitting all in cash and have been all in cash this whole time, how do you get into a market that might be headed into a bear market, right? It's a very tricky process. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of medicare realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show 
And welcome back to the show this morning. So just uh, doing a quick read through here. The most popular Bluebell ice cream flavors ranked. I disagree with this list entirely. (laughs) First of all, chocolate chip is number 20 and mint chocolate chip didn't make the list. And my daughter would be very upset because that's her favorite. Yeah, there's something wrong with that. Yeah. Um, Homemade vanilla is number 19. Come on. Out of all the flavors of Bluebell, look, I know vanilla is important. We got to have vanilla. That's the base of everything, Hmm. right? But it shouldn't be in the list. It should be a given. It should be a given, right? Yeah. What about vanilla bean? That's the one. Yeah. That's not homemade vanilla and vanilla bean. I, no, I guess I guess that's not. So yeah, vanilla bean didn't make the list. See, that's that's flawed. <laughs> the Great Divide, which is vanilla and chocolate. Mm. I mean, if you have vanilla on the list and you have chocolate on the list, the the Great Divide shouldn't be on the list, <laughs> right? Because you just take a scoop of each and put them in the bowl, yeah. and you have the Great Divide. So this is this is a stupid list. It's like Neapolitan without the Italians. Yeah, that, right. And then if you've got strawberry on the list, yeah. which you do, yeah. and vanilla and chocolate, then you don't need the Great. Yeah, there you you go. don't need Neapolitan. They could have used that slot for something more important. And who the hell eats banana pudding ice cream? That's the only thing I want to. Yeah. Dutch chocolate number fifteen, cookie two step. Number fourteen. That's actually pretty good. That yeah. should be higher on the list. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not going to lie. Uh, chocolate chip cookie dough is number thirteen. That's all. Yeah, that should be higher on the that's, list. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't. Yeah. Coffee is number twelve. I, that's actually a pretty good one. Yeah, should be lower on the list mm. though. Uh, cherry vanilla again. The strawberries and homemade vanilla. Again, we have strawberry. We have vanilla. <laughs> Put the two together. Okay. Rocky Road, Butter Pecan, Black Walnut, Cookies and Cream is number six. Pistachio Almond, Pistachio Almond, uh, Pecan Pralines and Cream. That's my wife's Mm -hmm. favorite. It's a good one. Yeah. Ultimate Neapolitan, Bride's Cake Uh, is number two. Horrible. It's number two. I don't care. It's horrible. What is in it? Junk. Almond-flavored ice cream with cake pieces and amaretto-flavored cream cheese icing. It tastes like what your plate winds up looking like at a wedding reception. At the end of the reception. Okay, I'm going to have to go it's with you. just awful. Number one is Millennium Crutch. I'll go with this one. Yeah, baby. Yeah, that's actually mm-hmm. pretty good. But Black Forest Cake mm-hmm. was my father's favorite. Yeah. I actually ordered... If you go to... If you actually... Call Bluebell. You can order a five-gallon yeah. ice cream tub of whatever you want. They'll make it for you. You just have to order five gallons of it. His was Black Forest Cake. Yeah. And so every year for his birthday, I'd buy five gallons of Black Forest Cake ice cream. May you rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> but he was happy. But he was very happy. <laughs> no, the ice cream didn't kill him. <laughs> no. just, just, I, just, I don't want anybody to think, you know. He actually took it for medicinal purposes. It, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, back to work. Um, talking about onboarding, the, you know, this is one of the the. And again, I, I went into a lot of detail in this with Adam Taggart, and then that video is on our website now at realinvestmentadvice.com if you want to know more about it. But one of the big the big problems here is that I I, I you know myself, Danny, Richard. We all get emails on a regular basis. You know, I've been in the markets. You know, I'm in cash. I've been out of the market for the last five years. And, and you know, I want to get in, but I don't know how to get in. I'm scared to get in because I don't want to buy in. And then we go right into a bear market. I get it, right? Tons of reasons 
not to get into the markets right now. But you had the same reasons last year, the year before that, the year before that, the year before that. And six years later, you're still not in the markets. And it's always the same reasons why we don't get into the markets. And this is why when we bring on to a new client, we don't just put you into the model, right? If you go to a lot of advisory firms, they, you know, they have their buy and hold ETF model or their buy and hold equity model. And you open up an account the next day, boom, you own all the stocks. So I kind of like buying a mutual fund. You buy a mutual fund, you own all the stocks that day, no matter what's going on. So we don't do that. The biggest challenge is trying to wait and be patient for pullbacks in markets, opportunities to present themselves, to put some capital to work at a reasonable basis. And then even when we do that, we do it at a very slow pace. If we're going to buy 5% of a, a, a position, we'll buy 1% to start with and work our way into the position over time. So as we get better cost prices, we can make those moves into positions we like. Eventually, they're going to go up if we do our job right. So it's not an easy process. And when you're in a market like we're in now, it can take a long time. Now, if the market has a big pullback, then you know we can onboard pretty quickly. But if we are kind of in this market that's kind of going sideways and trending higher, et cetera, it's going to take longer to get that, that money allocated. Because, again, investing is simply about putting capital to work when you have opportunity. And opportunity comes generally with crisis. So the two big mistakes that investors make is, one, when you have the crisis, right, and prices go down, you don't want to buy because now you're convinced that markets are going to go lower, so you don't do anything, you're in cash. Then markets go back up, and you go, well, I don't want to get in now because markets have already recovered, and I don't want to buy in now because it's going to go down again you know, sooner than later. And I know, and I'll, I'll buy then, but then you won't buy then because when the markets are going down and you should be buying, you won't because you get yourself in the psychological trap. And so you wind up doing nothing. And this is the problem that a lot of people have gotten themselves into. Investing isn't easy and it requires a discipline, but it also requires a bit of unemotionalism. Howard Marks, who is the famous portfolio manager for Oak Tree once said that being unemotional is the most challenging aspect of investing. Because as humans, we're all emotional, right? <clears throat> we don't like loss. We don't, we, we are afraid of loss. We do what's one of our psychological behavioral traits is loss avoidance. We do things intentionally to avoid the pain of loss. So we don't invest because we're afraid of losing. But then when markets are running up and we shouldn't be buying, we can't wait to get in because everybody around us is making a bunch of money and we're missing out. So we have this economic problem of keeping up with our uh, keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, because everybody else is making money and I'm losing economically. So now I've got to get in and what I do is I wind up buying too high in the markets. And then I wind up losing money doing exactly the thing I was trying to avoid in the first place. But that's that emotional basis of investing that we have to avoid. And so this is why having a very slow process of getting cash put to work 
can help you weather that point of getting allocated. And once you're allocated, it then just becomes a point of risk management. So when markets overbought, you raise a little bit of cash. When markets go down, you put the cash back to work. It gets very simple after that. It's just the problem of getting in. And this is the big problem with market timing versus risk management. And those are two very different things. Market time is being all in the markets or all out of the markets. You may time the getting out perfectly. Wow, I got out right at the top. Awesome. And then I didn't get back in for 12 years. Or I got in right at the bottom and then you don't get out because you think the markets are going to keep going up and you lose 50% of everything you make. So that's the problem with market timing. You're never going to get it right consistently. Risk management is, is I'm in and I'm just increasing and reducing my exposures to protect my capital. But if I'm wrong, it's very easy to make those adjustments because it's easy to see what's going on with the portfolio. So it's easy to make adjustments and you can make adjustments fairly quickly. But being all in or all out requires a big decision, and that is where it becomes very difficult, and we get ourselves into all kinds of psychological traps. And that's really the whole point. Again, on the, in the video on the website, if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, and again, it's right there on the front page. It's, it's the, uh, on, there's three videos on the left side of the page. It's the bottom one with Adam Taggart. But we go into a pretty substantial discussion about onboarding and how to get from cash into a portfolio in a market that you think is, you know, overvalued. And it was interesting because I got a lot of emails over the week and go, this email describes me to a T. Yeah, I know, because there's a lot of people just like, you're not alone if you're all in cash trying to figure out how to get into the markets or afraid to get into the markets. It's, it's not a function of that. It's not a function of selling everything you own to buy something, you know, everything that we own. It's a function of managing what you own until such time as there is an opportunity to sell those positions at a profitable position and transfer those assets into our model, right? Eventually, we'll want to get you into our model, but it takes time. And it's not just a, a liquidation. We've got to take into to account your taxable gains. Can't just sell everything you own if you've got huge taxable gains and stuff. How do we manage that? How do we manage the transition from the stuff that you own into the stuff that we that we want you to own or that you should own or we think you should own? How do you do that? Those are all parts of the process. And again, that can take a long time. But that, that video discussion is on the website. But that's an important part also of this idea of this anatomy of a bear market and navigating that cycle. That article's on the website. The video's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. If you have any questions, feel free to go by the website. Send us an email. Big box right there at the top says, ask a question. <laughs> How can we help? It's real easy to find. It's right there at the top of the page. Send us your questions, comments, answer them every day. Every email that comes in, I answer it personally. So I will guarantee if you send me an email and I get it, there's always the cyberspace monkeys. But if I get the email, I will definitely respond to you. If I don't respond to you, it means I didn't get it. Or is a really stupid question that didn't deserve an answer. But, you know, I'm joking. I'm joking. If you send me an email, I will respond to it. All right. That wraps up the show for today. Have a great day. We'll be back here tomorrow for Technically Speaking Tuesday. And we'll get through the markets, what happens today, your money, yield curves, and more. That's coming up tomorrow on tomorrow's show. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you then. 
It's a rich man's world.